rest of my days unhappy Why would I spend the rest of this year alone When I can go therapy When I can go therapy When I can go therapy Two times a day Why would I spend the rest of this week so bitter And all that listening is making you bitter too When I can go therapy When I can go therapy When I can go therapy Two times a day Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Counselling Corner. I'm your host, Amanda. Um, Welcome again. Um, Just wanted to, before we get into the meaty part of today's episode, um, wanted to thank everyone who listened last time for listening and got some great feedback from everyone. So I was happy about that. Um, Definitely happy with um, the stuff that we looked at last time. Um, Just to recap, we kind of looked at what the show was going to be about and what I wanted to do and what sort of the aim was, um, I guess, and then looked at kind of where I went to in terms of my journey to becoming a counsellor. Um, it's definitely been a long one, as you might have heard in the last one. If you haven't heard the last episode, it is up on the Radio Karen website. Feel free to jump on there after this episode to give it a listen if you haven't already. So, what is this episode about? Before I get into that, I just want to remind everyone that this is a show that people can uh, call in or message in with any um, feedback or issues or questions that they might have around counselling or what we're going to be talking about. Um, And I want to also emphasise that the stuff that I will be talking about, I'm in no way uh, an expert on. I am just uh, still a, a very much a learner and, um, you know, in, in counselling, I'm not sure if I mentioned last time, it's something that you're always learning and and researching and there's, ne- you know, there's never a point where you feel like you've kind of know everything. So if you do want to message in or call in, the number is 0493. 0493- Two one three eight three one. One more time. O four nine three two one three eight three one. Okay. So, what are we talking about today? Today we will be looking at the roller coaster of history counseling has had. It's definitely had a lot of ups and downs and um, been uh, all over the place, I feel. Um, and then um, it, it is it is an extensive topic, the, the history of counseling in terms of um, the theories and what people have discovered or suggested in terms of counselling um, so that might take up a little bit of time it's 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 a whole unit you can take in, in a course that that lasts 12 12 or so weeks depending on what where you're studying it um, and you can never learn enough 
about it. So mine will just be a quick run through of where it's come, where it's come from, um, what it's been, what it's been like throughout the years, and look at a few um, key theories um, that have erupt, arisen, I guess, um, since since it started. And then I'll touch on what what it is now and um, what what it looks like I guess um and then um and then I'll spend the rest of the time looking at the myths of counseling and the misconceptions that you know I've heard a lot of people have and um you know even in in research that's sort of what I found as sort of the general um misconceptions if any of you guys have any further quarrels or qualms with with counseling i'm i'm happy to um discuss that and see if we can come to an understanding um from that so great um so let's let's start with the history of counseling so before all of the I guess you would say talk therapy. It was very much medical centered. There was a, a really main medical approach using medication or all different types of medical procedures and uh, different ways to kind of combat. And where it is now is that there is a huge, thick manual called the DSM-5 of all the psychological uh, abnormalities that have been researched and experienced by many people. Back then, um, from what I from what I know and through my research, again, I'm not an expert. This is just from what I know. Um, feel free to come and correct me and we can talk about it. Um, so, yeah, so it was the medical approach. There was... A few things that they termed as a psychological abnormality, things like nervousness or hysteria, um, which was treated with things like drugs or shock therapy or even hypnotism, which was probably a little bit further on in the time and a little bit more controversial than the standard medical procedures. Um, So that's sort of where it where it kind of was based in um it does go back to kind of philosophy and Descartes who said I I think therefore I am and that kind of came out um and the, the whole personality um idea came out from there um but moving forward a little bit more um to the end of the 1800s um, where good old Sigmund Freud was up and about and um, he was in the medical field as well. I think he was sort of a physician. Um, but it started when the, the whole – his idea of talk therapy started when he jumped on a, a, a colleague's of his experiment um, to – um, manage some sort of psychological disorder. Um, I, 
not too sure what that is now and and if you and please please do your research um if you want to know further about all of that but he jumped on this experiment and not necessarily to do the experiment on these participants or patients as they they call them back then but he wanted to kind of interview them after each treatment stage uh, where he would ask them questions and write down what they were saying about their experience in in the experiment. Um, and what they found was that the patients were looking forward to this sort of after interview um, and he thought that, that that sort of it was a good treatment um, besides sort of the, the medical approach. Now, Freud was definitely ahead of his time and especially when the state of treatment for psychological abnormalities was very medical-based. People almost laughed at him if if he suggested talking to them as a treatment option. Um, I'm not sure if, if people know, but there is lots of books about him and um i want to also mention a netflix series that was centered around him it is called freud which is very easy to search on netflix um and it's it is not in in no way um factual it was very hollywoodized and kind of um an extravagant tale of his life um so not at all factual, but I do want to pinpoint one thing that he said um, in in the show, whether he actually said it or not, I'm not sure. Um, he's, he suggested that a person's mind is like a big mansion, uh, an old mansion, very dark and abandoned and a Treatment, he said, suggested that treatment should be where you go into this house and you take a. They had a little candle on a on a candlestick, and you go in and you light. You discover all the places, all the nooks and crannies, all the hidden doors, the trap doors, the cupboards, the pantries, the you know, discovering what this house really is for a person um and shedding light to it and that comes to pretty much what what i um postulate to people is that the more we understand ourselves the more we can manage it and have more of a control over our lives and over the psychological pain that that is very common these days so that's um so for me freud um i have a lot of respect for his work even though his work a lot of it was suggested and claimed under a lot of drugs that he took um but we know that drugs are not um the the illicit substances he would kind of take cocaine a lot um which is not 
um, helpful and healthy in, in any shape or form that we know today. So don't do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he started with um, the structure of personality, um, which looked at the id, the ego, the superego. Um, for those of you who don't know, who haven't done year 11 psychology, um, the id is, is our main uh, animalistic drive center that we want something we need it we need it right now it's the pleasure center um the kind of motivating kind of center of our personality um i want something and i'm going to do anything i need to to get it um pretty much the the super ego is on the other end of the spectrum the super ego is a very much moralistic type of structure in our personality that uh, wants to do right by everyone else it's kind of I don't know the, the people pleaser we want to please our parents and and do right by them and what's right knowing what's right and what's wrong and not doing what's wrong um, things like that the the ego is it's not really in the middle it's more about um, the ego being kind of like the manager of the id and the superego trying to um, figure out, you know, who to go to or how to use both of those strengths to for benefits and for effectiveness, um, which um, we can go, we, you know, if you want to kind of do a bit more reading and research, then I, I definitely encourage you to do that. And um, there's a whole psychology around the ego strength and um the ego mechanism and things like that um so then he um he postulated the psychosexual stages of development which also included the oedipus oedipus complex um which is a very interesting story um not for the young ones but um very he kind of based it a lot around that. Um, so going into those stages of development is um, up until six is the pre- the pre-genital stage, which includes the oral, anal and phallic phase, um, going through all of that. Um, uh, just a taste of that. Before we go into the further stages of development, um, we'll hear from one of our sponsors. Oi, 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 oi. IGA, it's shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. Thank you, IGA. Um, okay, so so looking at the further stages is the latency period, which is characterised by the sexual repression. I think he, he Freud suggested that it's where the superego comes into play um, and is more developed in terms of what's right and what's wrong trying to please our parents and our please our caregivers as much as we can. Um, and then is the, the genital stage from years 12 and onwards. Um, so very, very small 
um, kind of simplistic, animalistic kind of um, approach to development, um, but it's definitely something that has shaped how we think about um, personality and drives and instincts, um, which he um, wrote a lot about in terms of the drives and um, he also looked at the structure of the unconscious um, and talked about the defence mechanisms like reaction, formation, projection, fixation and regression um, and things like that. Um, and the therapy to the therapy that is done through Freud's view, which is the psychoanalysis, um, or even from Jung, which looked at archetypes um, and things like that. Um, they and also psychodynamic, which um, Anna Freud was was um, very much in terms of the child development and things like that. Um, so they the the aim of this period was to well, one of the aims was to strengthen the ego and to increase the the super ego as well um to manage the id a bit more and um things like that so they use things like free association um they analyzed resistance and transference and some even you know did dream interpretation and things like that um so yeah, so we have just received a message. Um, again, if you wanted to message, the number is 0493 Um We've just received a message from Tracy, um, William's mother. So she says, this is all fascinating, Amanda, and you're explaining it very clearly. Thank you very much, Tracy, for that feedback. Appreciate that. Um, it, it is a lot to, to take in. Um, so I'm just kind of skimming the surface here of, of everything. Um, so thank you again for that. Um, okay. So moving on from, from Freud, um, I, I do feel like Freud is a really good foundation for um, kind of counselling and, and psychology and everything like that. It's very interesting um, if you kind of move aside the the kind of drug taking and the uh, emphasis on the psychosexual stuff, it's really fascinating and can be applied and people do practice that kind of thing today um, there's many places who train you for that as well so next uh, about 1912 came uh, Alfred Adler and he looked at the socio-political perspective in terms of you know <coughs> sorry how the how the system um, in terms of politics and um you know, the, the cost of living and the standards of living were affecting um, people in terms of their psychological pain. Um, and then going up to the 40s and 50s um, came the existential kind of sect of counselling um, coming from Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, Viktor Frankl, um, Rollo May, Viktor Frankl. I've I've um, 
his book is um, very recommended. It, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. If if you guys want to have a read, and he wrote his book from based on his experiences in the Holocaust, and um, it's something that's really interesting as he looked at um, having a, a something to think about to motivate you and looked at motivation and um, looking at having a purpose in life and you know, that's sort of from the existential you know what what's the what's the point of everything you know and having that point can help people feel motivated and and do things like that um, and then came um, just about 1942 um, came the rise of Carl Rogers and person-centered therapy um, where he looked at the giving a client, I think he started to call them clients or participants, <coughs> um, three three core conditions. He thought that people have the potential to they, – they have the potential to get to their best possible selves, um, not necessarily self-actualization, which came from Maslow and, and people like that, but they, they do have the potential to um, – get to that sort of point with three core conditions um and he those core conditions are things like empathy and unconditional positive regard and also um the other one escapes me um something like being true to yourself um, which that might come and, and some of the people who I, I work with might um, know that, um, feel free to, to message that in. Um, again, this is there's so much information, it's, it's hard to kind of have more than seven pieces of information in your head at one time, um, plus or minus two, if you know all of that about memory. Um, so after Carl Rogers came Gestalt um, at about 1950s, 51, um, the main idea, Gestalt is, uh, for me, I, I find it quite complicated, but the, the basics, it's um, looking at perception and um, sort of, the, I think it's more more cognitive kind of ideas, perspectives and things like that. Um, if you want to learn more, then definitely I would do um, some more research around that. And there's schools that, that will train you for that as well these days as well. So, um, and then between 50s to 60s, um, there was a, a sort of a explosion of, of uh, ideas around behaviour and behavioural treatments and therapies. Um, I think a lot of the research from that came from the behaviours we saw throughout the Holocaust in how people would treat other people and a lot of the research came out from that. It was very research-heavy in terms of the behavioural therapy, also cognitive therapy and, and cognitive behavioural therapy, very much research-based. Um, and I think people like Skinner or, um, you know, even other other in the behaviourists, they, I think they were like, you know, all of this ideas of therapy and psychology is great but I I have the idea that if you can't see it then it's it, it's not there there there's like you know if you can't see it why idealize that it's there so they were very much looking at behavior 
as what you can see, something to work with, something to change, something to um, benefit or, you know, things like that. And um, came with um, the Skinner um, with operant conditioning, look at rewards and and um, that sort of conditioning the mind um which also came from um ivan pavlov i'm not sure if people have heard of that one but he um was he stumbled across um classical conditioning i mean he he invented it but he stumbled across it when he was testing dogs um uh, kind of ability to salivate um and he if people don't know, but he would ring a bell every time he would give food and then um, it got to a point where he would ring a bell and the dog would salivate uh, without the appearance of food so that he recognised that the dog had associated the bell with food which would enact or condition the dog to, you know, get ready to eat and salivate and, you know, have that kind of instinctual, I guess, kind of preparation to um, to eat. Um, so that that was sort of from there as well. Um, also, things like Bandura, he looked at um, the the learning learning behavioral kind of theory of like things like monkey see, monkey do. If kids see what other people are doing will they um do the same um uh and also people like Lazarus as well um so yeah let let me know what what your feelings are what what if there's any more questions um I'll I'll read out the number again it's 0493213831 please let me know um if there's any questions or um, anything that you'd like to know further and we can – I've brought my trusty theory book, so if you wanted to know more about any of those things, please let me know. Okay, so um, uh, going into 1955 to 60 was more into – got more into kind of the, the cognitive aspect of it and then paired it with cognitive and behavioural therapy um, where they thought that, like, okay, if you can't see it, fine, but we know that there are thoughts happening, um, so maybe we can work together to help people, you know, see the connection between thoughts, also emotions maybe, and also behaviours and how those things interact with each other to create certain behaviours. Um, so where are we at with that? So, yeah, so I think that's sort of the, the, the crux of, of CBT. Again, it was very much heavily re- – it's probably one of the most researched um, approaches to therapy um, – in the history of therapy and that's why it's so popular and used on a very much regular basis with um, sort of the, the main approach in, in psychology uh, with psychologists and um, people in the more kind of clinical 
setting um that's sort of the the main approach um uh, in the counseling world we there's a consensus that it's it's a great tool to use um but also i think in the counseling world we're more um wanting to look at what else is there what else can we use not, not like what else but um the fact that everyone is so different, everyone will respond very differently to different things. So we always want to try to find what fits for a client and what works for them, but also what what we as counsellors feel um, works for us or, um, you know, to find that kind of happy medium between what works for us and what works for the client as well. We're always happy to try new things and things like, well, at least I am, I guess. Um So, yeah, so from there came the uh, rational emotive behavioural therapy, which looked at, um, I guess, adjusting emotions um, to help us manage behaviours a bit more, um, coming from people like uh, Albert Ellis um, and also Aaron Beck, who um, was part of the cognitive therapy approach as well. Before we continue to the next era um we'll just hear from and we'll just hear from another promo uh mark it's witch from spider bait here uh are, are you talking to me are you talking to me uh, are you are you talking to me no what i said is are you talking to me <laughs> well i'm the only one here so who the hell are you talking to? Are you talking to me? <laughs> Listen in every Thursday night at 6pm. Thanks for that. Mark Beatty. He'll be on every Thursdays with a new guest. Okay. Just adjust myself here. So, um, the next era was probably around the 60s, which came in the feminist theory and that brought in a whole new era of uh, looking at, I think, going back to the the systematic issues of politics and how the system is oppressive and causing all these psychological issues um, for people. And I think it really looked at advocating for people and uh, making sure people are looked after and and all those sorts of things. Um, Then came the social learning and cognitive theory, um, which I think maybe probably would have stemmed from Bandura um, in terms of um, how group dynamics can um, affect people um, in certain ways, positive, negative, however you feel. Um, so that's sort of the, the feminist theory um, from from there. Um, I, I haven't sort of researched too much, but that's sort of from that era. Um, about the 80s, that was sort of the, the postmodern um, era of counselling and probably um, for, for a lot of other things as well, um, where DBT, dialectical behavioural therapy, came, um, was developed uh, mainly for um, 
borderline personality disorders, but it can help with other things as well. Um, also things like narrative therapy, which have helped people, um, like, um, in native, uh, areas or indigenous people, I think it's had a great effect on, on them, um, in that kind of way, things like solution focused therapy, which I'm personally practicing myself, um, in a more kind of brief counseling kind of way, looking at, you know, ways to manage what they're going through in the present moment. Um, also things like ACT, which is the uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, um, which focuses on values and how to um, kind of engage in those values in a more, um, I guess, realistic and truthful way to yourself. Um, okay, so... here um and then also motivational interviewing came from since that time as well um i i it definitely sounds not very informal but the idea comes from carl rogers with the three core conditions and it's very person-centered um but also looking at uh really attentively listening to the person and and um, also looks at the, the stages of change, which I can go into in another um, episode, um, helping people kind of change difficult behaviours or unhealthy behaviours um, in certain ways as well. So that's that's sort of the, the main skimming over um, the history of it. There's, you know, there's a whole unit. So you could do whole courses you can do um, to know more. Um, definitely whole units you can do in each of it and every one of those things. Um, so but I ask, what, what is it today? Today, since the 80s, um, there's been a whole lot more theories around counselling as well. and um, But in terms of what I've experienced, the training is mainly person-centred. And I think person-centred, um, any counsellor, even psychologists should have, um, when you're doing the intake and first few sessions, it's always um, a, good, a good starting point to really understand the client um, in, in terms of who they are, what they've experienced, what it's been like for them, things like that. Um, also... On the top of on top of that, it, you know, I feel it's very, well, mainly in terms of counselors, it's very eclectic, and everyone has um, different tools in their toolkit um, in terms of kind of counseling and and the approaches that they use. Um, some even do CBT, even though that's the main approach in the psychology. Um, and the psychologist, um, you know, there's a lot of great tools in that, um, but um, we also tend to. I think more towards person-centered, but we we do like to kind of dabble in other types of approaches like narrative or art-based therapy, music therapy, um, other kind of alternative ways to, to counsel people. Yep. Okay. So that's just sort of where, where it's at at the moment. Please feel free to let us know what you think. Um, 
how you feel about all of that. Uh, it's an open forum for sure. I'm happy to read out whatever. Um, again, if, if you if you didn't get the number last time, I know in the last episode I only said it once, so I'm trying to say it more. Um, so the number is 0493 213831. 0493 213831. Cool. So where are we at? About another 20 minutes um, left at the moment. So I do want to get into and you know, if we don't finish, I can always, you know, keep, keep this going kind of another episode. And, um, you know, some say it's not good to drag it out, but you know, then we got more time to, to explore all of this. So yes. So the next part I wanted to look at some myth debunking. I've listed about seven or eight, um, here on, on my notes here. Um, but definitely people can, can, messaging with any of their um, ideas or experiences of any myths or misconceptions that they have and we can talk about it. Um, I haven't really um, kind of put any notes about how to debunk these but I guess I'll just talk to what my experience is um, in terms of those ideas and, and myths and things like that. Okay so the first thing I've got in terms of a myth is that counselling is for people with serious mental health issues. It can make me weak and there's a stigma of seeking help. So there's a few things in that. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the first thing. It's, it's for people with serious mental health issues. Yes, definitely. I agree that if you do experience serious mental health issues, please, please seek support. But I think counselling and just talking to someone external uh, can be really uplifting and so that, you know, even people high functioning with things need to um, take a few moments to, to just talk their experience through and, and it's always good to talk, talk it out and, you know, because if, if things are left unsaid um, and people experience all sorts of issues um, at, at any moment in their life. It's, I mean, anxiety, depression has become one of the most common things um, people have been experienced. So um, even though it's still in the, in the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic, I mentioned this before, it was a diagnostic statistical statistics manual, number five. Um, this has been four others and... Um, there's a more culturally appropriate one, which is the it starts with I or something. I can't remember. Um, so, yes, it, it is very helpful to start with if you do have serious mental health issues, whether that's more neurological issues or things like um, borderline personality or bipolar or any other of those issues. Yes, please go and seek help for that. Um or have a chat to your GP. Um, hope, and GPs now need to do a bit of mental health training because, um, you know, you would hope that they would kind of be a bit more empathetic and, and you know, try and support you in whatever way you, that you needed. Um, so please seek help from, from your GP if you haven't already. Um, and um, if 
you feel unsupported from your GP, there are hundreds in, you know, in your, probably in your local area, um, please shop around. Um, the other point of that myth, it makes me weak. Well, talking about it is probably the counseling can be very, can be a very vulnerable place. It's a space where you talk about yourself and you put the really put the spotlight the the counselor has a candle on a candlestick looking around your house uh, seeking what's going on what does the house look like what's happening here it's a very vulnerable place to put the spotlight on you so it takes a lot of courage to sit in that kind of space so no it does not make you weak and even things like uh, if you're experiencing abuse or domestic violence or anything like that, it does not make you weak. It um, can only make you stronger and help you live the best life that you can live. Um, now, the last part of that myth was that it, there's a stigma of seeking help. I think that that kind of intertwines with the idea that it makes me weak um, or as we'll look further, um, some cultural uh, kind of associations with that. Um, the stigma of seeking help has come a long way. We've made a lot of strides in um, increasing people's abilities to seek help um, or the ideas around it, uh, I, I think. Um, and I think it's become more of a... Um, you know, I'm sure with, with prices of seeking help, it's... Um, you know, at some point it, it does seem like a luxury, um, but there are many services that people can access um, that can at least start that process of, of all of that um, as well. Okay, so if anyone has any opinions about that or ideas or issues, please feel free to text in with the number I mentioned before. Um just before the next one, um, we might just hear from our last advertising. Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Karam. Go Karam. All right, thanks, Freddies. We'll see you later. Um, okay. So the next myth or misconception I've heard also from my research is that I can get counselling from or talk to my friends, my family, work colleagues. I can talk to, you know, when I go to work, I'll just vent to them. Look, it's happened to me before as well when I've worked in retail. It's, you know, you talk to your friends and you can vent to them while you're stocking shelves or whenever you're working. Um, talk to them about your problems and it's definitely much cheaper and you're being paid to do to, to work. Um, so it's kind of a reverse. Um, yeah, it's 
and I'll talk I'll talk to the the idea of support people um, in another episode. Um, but at the moment, just looking at that idea, you know, I can get count. I can I can talk to my friends. I can talk to my family. Um, you know, and, and definitely if you don't have, if you feel like you don't have that kind of support, please again um, seek it out. Um, there's some free services around if you're also having some financial pressure as well. Um, but with this. You know, I have friends, I have family I can talk to. I don't really need to go and seek someone professional. Um, I think there's a point where we unload on people and we kind of forget, even though they're trained, that they are not really there to take all of that on. Some people don't take it on, but I know from speaking to people who feel like that they are a support for someone else, you know, a spouse or a daughter, you know, a child of a parent going through stuff, an adult child um, or, you know, friends or uh, kind of family members, sister, kind of siblings, um, kind of trying to support their family or their friends. I always say that, you know, that supports are very important. Um, in, in anything that we go through but there is to an extent of how much those people can support you if it's really impacting you um, day to day it's definitely always helpful not only for you but also for the people that care about you and want to be that support that you seek support um, more professionally um, I just want to touch on, um, so I'm not sure if you know, but I am registered with PACFA, the Psycho, Psychotherapy and Counselling Federation of Australia. I just want to touch on what they say in terms of counselling people that you know or things like that. Just give me one moment. So, in the PACFA Code of Ethics, was it page page thirteen? I want to touch on um, F point F. It says pra- practitioners avoid other personal relationships with clients, former clients, and their clients, families, or friends. If knowledge of a close friendship or relationship with members of a client's family or friends becomes apparent following the commencement of therapy, it is the responsibility of the practitioner to refer the client on. Um, As it says, it's a conflict of interest as well there. Because I think, you know, if what you're saying to someone, they're invested in you. And whether that they're trained to take that on or not, they have that investment which can really, I guess, make it more difficult for them to stay objective. And I think the objectiveness is important in counselling where someone can look at the pic- the bigger picture for you and piece it all together in a kind of neat, uh, as neat as it possibly can and, you know, talk about different perspectives and different ideas without having that sort of investment into that person. Okay. 
And then it goes on to say things about dual relationships and things like that. It, it needs to be um, avoidable. It needs to be avoided, but um, definitely under supervision. Um, sometimes there is sort of instances in terms of where you live in a small community, you know the person. Unfortunately, it's happens, you know, quite a lot. Um Okay, so that's sort of the point. It doesn't really necessarily mention about friends and family, but I think with the close relationships, it, it becomes a really difficult situation and um, it's hard, it, being hard to stay objective, it's hard to manage emotions from there um, and that person will need to seek more support for themselves in managing all of that. So that's based on that. Um, so definitely it's great to have support and I'll talk about that again kind of in another episode about the support person and what that looks like and what it, what it needs to look like, you know, without, um, without giving them things like compassion fatigue, which, which is common in, in people who support other people, um, where they kind of give so much to, um, that support person and the more that they are carrying all of that and taking responsibility for all of that, it can be really exhausting for a person. So um, it's important to have those supports but definitely take care of them as well and in how much you're giving them as well. Um, yes, okay. So, um, so definitely, you know, let me know what, what you think about all of that. Um, yeah, going on to the next the next myth and misconception, um, number three is that it'll only be about my childhood and it'll go so much in depth with my childhood and um, I don't want to go there. Um, definitely in terms of that, the childhood aspect is one theory about how we are today as adults or grown up or from far from that childhood it's one theory some and it does can shape us how we are in our childhood and without proper management if there is things like abuse or trauma it can really shape us and influence how we are in the future without proper management or treatment or you know a recovery kind of phase I guess um it is one theory yes I I agree um and it can come into play sometimes um especially looking at you know if you've got relationship issues or um kind of family dynamic issues things like that it can come into play in that kind of way um but i think in terms of counseling um or at least in my own practice we really look at how you're managing it today um if you've processed it enough, if you've maybe if you've grieved it, or um, how how you're kind of doing that, what you know, how are you managing all this at this point in this moment? In maybe in the last two weeks, um, we we really try and focus on the present moment, and there that is sort of an approach, you know, staying with the present. Um, grounding and and looking at not only kind of the present moment but future and 
while acknowledging all of the childhood stuff can be helpful, sometimes just having not necessarily a distraction but, you know, a, a forward focus so that you can leave, you know, have moments where you can leave all of that in the background for you to manage, you know, whenever you feel ready. And trauma can take a long time, especially if it's embedded in in you or from childhood or, you know. And, and, and again, things like trauma, yes, it's, it's serious when it happens as a kid, but it does happen later in life, you know, teenager any any at any point we can experience adverse events and be impacted by that definitely um so basically it can be about your childhood if you want it to be a lot of the counseling these days and (coughs) what I do is that if you don't want it to be about your childhood it doesn't have to be unless you want to explore that and you and you start to sorry it's it can be a really comfortable place for you to do that um and to understand all of that and take whatever that experience was and and I guess making a new normal for yourself after that, even after grief or or trauma or all of those sorts of experiences through that. So we've gotten through about three of those myths at the moment. Um, Definitely um, let me know through my page or in the next few minutes through a text or a call if you had any other questions or um responses or or issues you know please let me know um otherwise i think we'll we'll kind of go through the next few ones that i've got on my list in um in the next show i'll probably be in the next two weeks i will keep everyone posted about all of that so i do apologize i've been absent um in the last few weeks a lot has happened um so i I do thank everyone for listening for the last hour or so um and for bearing with me there's you know we've had some technical issues you know as um as my luck would would hope for um and i think Next time, we'll definitely get more into the rest of those myths and misconceptions. And um, I'll let you guys know if we're going to talk about anything else. Um, But otherwise, please, everyone, have a good day. Stay hydrated. Call your mum if she's around and say a good thing to someone um, is what what I'm, you know, trying to do every day. Say something good to someone. Um, otherwise, everyone, hope everyone have a good day and thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Dave Graney. I am an underworld musician of many years standing. I'm here to ask you to tune in to my fellow traveller, my comrade, Radio Caram. Radio Caram.